Welcome to We Need to Talk About Tech, where we talk about the past, present, and future of technology. On this week's episode of the podcast, we talk about Oppo's surprisingly cool folding phone. We talk about Ubisoft Quartz, Ubisoft's foray into NFTs. And we talk about the iMac Pro coming out in 2022, along with other Apple devices. Okay, starting off this podcast, we're going to talk about the Apple Find and Foldable phone. So recently, and you know, correct me if I'm wrong, to me, this was kind of out of the blue. Apple announced their first foldable phone ever, as far as I know. And it kind of hit everyone's subscription box today. This is Wednesday, the 15th of December, and every YouTuber, every tech reviewer, every, you know, news blog started reporting about the Oppo Find N, foldable phone from Oppo. And the most surprising thing I would say is that I didn't really hear rumors about this. Like there's a lot of rumors that kind of pop up here and there, but I didn't hear any rumors about this. And also they've apparently had six internal generations. So Samsung has had, you know, the Galaxy Fold 1 or Galaxy Z Fold 1, 2, 3. And each year they've gotten a little bit better. You know, they've released it. People had critiques. There's things people like, people didn't like. And they made kind of all their corrections out in the open. Interesting thing about Oppo is that they chose to do all of these corrections behind closed doors. So... Throughout, I'm not sure how long it took them to get to this form factor, to get to this design, but six different generations of the phones have been created, refined, created, refined. And I feel like I haven't heard about any of these refinements that they made. And then they come out with this phone, which is just the form factor. It's it's essentially a, a Galaxy Z Fold 3, but it's a little bit shorter, a little bit wider. Um, the outside screen is a 5.4 inch display with a 18 to 9 aspect ratio, I believe. And the inside display is a 7.1 inch screen with a 9 by 8.4 aspect ratio. So a little bit more square. But what this does is when it's foldable or when it's folded up, it makes it easier to hold and makes it easier to handle and makes it easier to reach the different corners of the screen than the Galaxy Z Fold. And then also when you open it up, it makes it technically already in landscape mode. When you open up the Galaxy Z Fold 3, it's a long name, it kind of, it's in portrait. If you wanna, let's say, watch videos or watch any sort of media, you have to rotate it to get it into, I guess, to take advantage of the bigger screen to the to the fullest. But with this Oppo phone, as soon as you open it, this is the best viewing option for any sort of media, any for any sort of long form content. Now, I think what what this kind of, you know, seems like to me is this is the Apple way of doing things. Whereas instead of, okay, Samsung, as soon as they came out with a, a, a foldable phone, okay, this is our first foldable. And then we're going to slowly iterate, 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 but they're going to keep on releasing it. And then at some point, they're going to have, you know, a, a quote unquote perfect product. Whereas what Apple would typically do is they won't jump into a, a segment, a product segment until they have it perfected in their eyes. 
they take the time, they work on things behind closed doors. And then instead of releasing something that, okay, won't be received well, and then the next year will be better, and the next year, they wait until they have it perfected in their eyes. And this is kind of what Apple has decided to do, which I think is, it's going to be a huge plus, right? Because, okay, maybe they weren't the first to come out with the foldable phone. But now when they do come out with a foldable phone, people are saying, wow, this is your first phone. I mean, like I said, they've had six different generations internally. But wow, this is your first phone. This is a really good foldable phone. Like this is, you know, some people would say it's better than the Samsung. Some say it's on par with the Samsung. But I think a lot of people are pleasantly surprised with how good this phone is and how competitive it is. Now, I'm sure you've kind of you've heard of the Oppo, you've seen some reviews, maybe read some reviews too. What are your thoughts on this first foldable phone to the public from Oppo? Yeah, I completely agree with you. I think this thing looks really, really cool. Um, and in a lot of ways, looks much more refined and a lot better than, than the Samsung. Uh, for a couple of reasons. One, I've said many times, I'm a fan of smaller phones, phones that are more compact. And when it's closed, it is personally for me, an awesome form factor. Uh, I've, I've said, I, I believe, I can't remember which reviewer said it, but kind of compared it to the size of a, an iPhone mini, which is a phone that I've said pretty frequently that I'm a fan of. And this closed, even if someone just made a phone of this uh, Oppo Find N, just a closed version of it, and, you know, maybe a cheaper phone that was out there, maybe for people who want to be less addicted to the phone and, you know, less scrolling, just a smaller device. I would love that. But as a whole package, I think it comes together so well because the closed version of the phone is really easy to use, really small, can fit in the palm of your hand, can fit in a pocket really easily. But then when you open it up, like you said, it opens up naturally in the right aspect ratio. So flipping from the closed version to the to the larger screen version just feels more natural because, or at least I assume it feels more natural because the the aspect ratios of the device just lines up. You know, if you know you want more space, you're going to want that that to be in that same orientation. Um, but then also the fact that it's more of a square screen, which is really cool. Uh, and the way that the screen kind of folds in, a lot of reviewers have talked about how there's less of a, a crease because instead of it folding almost like a, a piece of paper, it kind of curves a bit uh, into the phone. And another phone that did that really well was the Razer phone. The Razer phone did not fold the screen fully flat. It let the screen kind of recede into the phone so that it never really created that full crease that you see in the Galaxy Z Fold. So yeah, I, I think they took a lot of the best things that they saw the competition do. They, they took what they thought was the best from the Razer phone. They took what they thought was best from the Galaxy Z Fold and the Z Flip, and they kind of added them together um, from a couple of things, a physical fingerprint sensor on the side of the phone that's integrated into the power button instead of a separate fingerprint sensor that's something like the original Google Duo, uh, sorry, Microsoft Duo did, uh, which a lot of people didn't like. They used a regular hole punch camera instead of the underscreen camera that, you know, when you're up close to the screen, doesn't really look that great in the Galaxy Z Fold. So, and also a better aspect ratio when the phone, when the phone is folded. Um, 
compared to the competition. So yeah, I think they took a lot of the the hints and the tips that they got from a lot of the the failures that the competition did and kind of put all the wins that they got together into one device. And two things I think is really cool about this. One, obviously the phone is really cool. I think from what I'm seeing, it might be the best foldable phone out right now, probably up there with the Huawei Mate X. But also the more companies that get into the folding phone market, the faster it's going to evolve because they're going to have to leapfrog each other and leapfrog each other. Uh, the one big downside for me is obviously the price. Uh, this is an expensive phone between $1,500 and $1,600 when translated into US dollars. Uh, so right around the price of the Surface Duo. And if I was choosing between those devices, um, I'd probably choose the Surface Duo uh, just because I, I still like that idea of two separate screens better. It, to me, it seems more durable and more pro uh, productivity focused. But uh, I do think this thing is really cool and I can't wait to see more companies kind of get involved in this because a lot of the hardware that you're seeing in this device is stuff that's been made readily available by Samsung. Samsung manufactures these displays. I'm assuming um, that these are Samsung displays. And if they are, they have made these very uh, readily available to all these companies. And we've even heard rumors of Google potentially doing a Pixel Fold phone. So the more companies that get involved in this, the quicker the prices are going to start to decrease on folding phones. And I think the sooner we might see more people kind of have folding phones in their pockets. But um, I don't think we're there yet. I'm definitely not at the point where I want a, a folding phone, but this phone definitely gets a lot closer. I'm curious, can you picture yourself carrying around a folding phone or even this particular Oppo Find N? Um, or do you think we need to wait a little bit longer before folding phones get to where we need them to be? I would say I could definitely see myself holding a foldable phone, you know, using one daily. But it comes down to a price thing, like you yeah. said, right? It's I haven't seen any reviews that covered the the photo quality of these, which, as we've always said, that's a big part of why people have phones what, or not why people have phones that's a big part of what people use their phones for yeah the main reason people have phones is to communicate to connect with other people but a lot of people take pictures with their phones a lot of people take videos with their phones if this isn't on par with let's say you know a pixel or a, a samsung galaxy or an iphone then spending that extra money to get something where okay yeah it's definitely cool that you can open up, you can fold your, unfold your phone to have a bigger screen and you can theoretically be more productive. But if you can't, you know, take a picture on Snapchat, then what's the point in having it really in today's day and age? Yeah. I can definitely see myself with a foldable though, but you know, to go back to your point between, let's say between this, between the Samsung Z Fold and between the Microsoft Duo 2, I think I would go with the Samsung just because of really just because of the S Pen. Mm. Um, if we're talking about, okay, a foldable phone is meant to be more productive, you know, more productivity focused device compared to just a, just a traditional phone. I like what you said about the, you know, the surface duo being more geared towards that, but it's still just that new design that I don't like. Mm -hmm. 
if they could somehow <laughs> stick to the old design, the original Surface Duo, add you know the Surface Pen into it and just make it less buggy, I'd be perfectly fine using that phone. But because because they updated the design, because it's still buggy, I can't choose that as a productivity device because it won't even work effectively. Yeah. And then so when I compare the Oppo to the Samsung, I like what Oppo's done. I it looks great. And like I said, because it's their first public version of this phone, it is an amazing first public version. It's amazing. Like you mentioned, you know, the fingerprint sensor being part of the power button, the hole punch camera instead of an underscreen camera, even the aspect ratio and the size of the phone, I think is I think those are all better than what Samsung is doing, but I don't think Samsung falls that far behind in those areas. Let's say if Oppo is a 10 out of 10 in all of those, I'd say Samsung is a 9 out of 10. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe the, the underscreen camera is like a 7 out of 10, but in terms of, okay, the fold being noticeable, in terms of the, the aspect ratio and the screen size, I'd say those are like 9 out of 10. And the fact that you have all this S Pen functionality with it to make it more productive, that makes more sense to me. Now, for all I know, Apple could be coming out with their Apple Pen or their Find Pen 5, whatever they want to call it. That would change the subject. That would, that would change my decision, I think. That would change it a lot. But at the moment, I would give, okay, the crown to the Z Fold 3. The Apple Find N comes underneath. And then we can throw in the Galaxy Z Flip. And then the Surface Duo. Or no, how would the Huawei Mate X, right? That's what it is? Yeah. And then the Surface Duo 2 is at the very bottom. And then the Razer phone? <laughs> oh, no, Razer phone. Then the Surface Duo 2. <laughs> Pretty much whatever the list is, the Surface Duo 2 is at the bottom. Actually, I would put the Surface Duo 1 above the Surface Duo 2. Completely agree with you. Even if it's buggier, it still looks that much better, in my opinion. Yeah. Right? This is a subjective list. So. Uh, I just think the the Apple Find N is cool and it's showing that I think folding phones along with the Z Flip 3 are growing pretty fast and becoming better and better at each iteration. Definitely. And I think, you know, the fact that someone like Apple was working on this behind the scenes and then comes out with this device, it's more promising that companies like Google, that companies like Apple, I'm sure companies like OnePlus are all working on their own versions of this because like you said, Samsung is manufacturing these screens, these foldable screens, and make them readily available for people. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, so our second topic uh, for this podcast is about Ubisoft Quartz and the Ubisoft Quartz beta, which is a bit of a controversial new uh, idea from Ubisoft where they're going to integrate NFTs into their games. And essentially, these are unique items that are being introduced into uh, Ubisoft games. Like right now, it is, yeah, Ghost Recon Breakpoint um, is where they're starting this. And the the uh, items that are being introduced in this Quartz beta, they're called digits, essentially. And they're unique items that are going to be released in limited run that you can purchase from, I'm assuming, the Quartz store. And these items, it's going to be interesting because normally, you know, in many games, even if you haven't played Ubisoft games, you can imagine uh, something like Fortnite or anything else 
where you can go into a store and you can buy a cosmetic item. And, you know, anyone can buy that item and, you know, it will come back another time in a store and then you can buy it again if you miss it. Uh, or you can wait for the next item. Well, with these particular items, they're going to be released in limited run. They're going to have serial numbers on them and they're going to track everyone who owns them. So essentially, it's going to be a unique thing. Like they showed three uh, examples, which included a weapon skin, a helmet skin, and essentially you equip it to your character and you own this digital version of this skin with the serial number. You're recorded as the owner. And then once you're done with it, you can sell it because it's unique. People will always see, hey, you owned it. Maybe you were the first owner, so I'm going to be the second owner. Or maybe there was two other owners before you. They can see all that information. They can see the serial number. So I imagine with this artificial scarcity, something that's maybe, you know, the first serial number or the second serial number will probably be more rare than something that was in the middle of the run or something that was re-released. And yeah, you can buy and sell these NFTs in game. They even announced that we're going to be creating these NFTs. Ubisoft is going to be creating these NFTs with energy efficient technology. So it's not a situation where, because there's been a lot of backlash about this, to be honest. There's been a lot of people who are really not happy with the idea of digital cosmetics that are NFTs and that are unique being introduced into the game. They think that it could be a little bit uh, a little bit of an issue, especially, for example, if I'm Ubisoft and I give uh, a particular skin to the uh, most popular streamer on Twitch, and then that streamer is now recorded as an owner of that NFT. If that streamer gives that away or sells it, that particular NFT now becomes more rare because it's attached to that person. And it's kind of interesting to see uh, especially in the age of digital transactions and loot boxes and stuff like that being talked about, uh, especially with a lot of younger players of is, could this be considered gambling? Could it be considered, you know, marketing to kids in certain ways? Is this Ubisoft getting into a, an area that maybe they don't want to, or maybe they, they wouldn't want to in terms of, of optics. But when you think about it in terms of technology, they are the first ones we just talked about in our last podcast about you know, NFTs getting into video games and just how how uh, quickly that's going to happen. And right after we talk about it, it happens and Ubisoft has decided to do it. And regardless of, I think, what the initial impressions is now, I imagine that this is probably going to be more common going forward. And it's going to be interesting to watch to see what kind of marketing uh, tactics these companies take to make these things seem more cool. And like I said, Ubisoft has decided to do serial numbers, a list of, of owners who owned it, the ability to buy and sell them in a marketplace, and also uh, noting the fact that they want these things to be energy efficient, that they're not going to be a huge strain on the energy grid, um, which crypto and blockchain-based things can be at times. So it, it's kind of really cool to see, um, and also a little bit, I think, troubling to some people who maybe don't want this kind of stuff in their games. But I'm curious, how do you feel about NFTs being in games? And would you be okay with a game that you play pretty regularly having limited access to uh, NFT-based cosmetics? And uh, is that something that you would ever consider buying or maybe holding? Do you think it could be an investment? So just to start off with the blockchain aspect of it, mm -hmm. 
So as you mentioned, you know, they're focused on being more energy efficient. So they've chosen the Tezos. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. It's spelled T-E-Z-O-S blockchain because they're the original proof of stake network. So proof of stake blockchains use less energy than traditional blockchains. Now, quote from the Ubisoft press briefing, one transaction on their network, their meaning Tezos, Tezos, uh, uses the same amount of energy as streaming 30 seconds of video. While the previous generation of blockchain networks can consume the same energy required of one year of nonstop streaming. Mm. So 30 seconds compared to one year of nonstop streaming, that's a big deal in terms of energy efficiency. It's a big deal in terms of lowering the carbon footprint. That's part of why they've partnered with Tezos and why they've chosen to go with a proof of stake network. Um, now, as far as a game that I play regularly, implementing some sort of NFT limited run, I I mean, I'd sure, I'd be on board with it. I think it's only inevitable. Kind of what we've experienced over this past year is that, and you know, it, it, once again, it could be a fad. It could be a bubble, but it definitely doesn't seem like that. Remember when we first started talking about these in February of last year, we're like, oh, you know, this is pretty crazy. You know, I wonder how high it gets. And now it's like, oh my gosh, I can't like, I can't even keep up with how how high these things are getting and how valuable these things are and how much they're proliferating, how much they're growing everywhere. You know, at first it was just, okay, one obscure game, but now we're talking about the NBA. We're talking about Nike. We're talking about video game companies. We're talking about movie companies talking about, you know, Quentin Tarantino was making his own NFTs. Everyone is getting involved in it. And I think, you know, sort of as has been the most recent, I guess, uh, theme of our podcast. And it seems like the theme of all news nowadays is the metaverse and NFTs are here to stay. And they're going to be a big part of our future. So a game that I play regularly getting into NFTs, it's only a matter of time. It's only a matter of time before they produce their own NFT, or they have some sort of collaboration that makes its way into a game. At some point, and you know, because I think it's only a matter of time, at some point, I definitely will invest in NFTs. And I see it as an investment because, I mean, uh, it depends. It depends what it is. Mm-hmm. I definitely see myself investing in some things. I definitely see myself buying something because I like it. Or because I want to support the creator of it. You know, let's say Beeple, for instance. You know, he's a pretty big creator. He's a pretty big artist right now, especially in the NFT space. If I were to buy one of his pieces, one, you know, hey, you know, congratulations to me for making enough money to buy one. But also, too, that would be an art investment, I see. Yeah. On the other hand, Let's say there's a video game and there's a pair of Jordans that you can buy in it. I have a collection of Jordans myself. I have a small collection of Jordans. There are a lot of people that buy them just to resell them. I'm a person that buys them because I genuinely enjoy the design of the shoe, the style of the shoe, the fit of the shoe. So let's say if I were to buy some sort of you know, Jordan shoe NFT, that is something that I would keep because it's, okay, I appreciate 
the time, the craftsmanship. Although, I mean, in an NFT, there's not the same amount that goes into, you know, a physical shoe that someone's creating, but there still is some. But I say if it's something like, you know, my example, a, a Jordan shoe that is created as an NFT, that is something I can see myself keeping um, because I enjoy that little bit of, okay, real world culture that's now brought into the digital sense. Mm-hmm. But if it's some sort of artwork, that is something that I would see as more of an investment than anything. If it's something like a people, you know, a people piece or something like a crypto punk or a board ape, that is something that I would know, okay, I am buying this because I think the value is going to go up and at some point I'm going to sell it. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think you're right. Like this stuff is, is almost like a given. Um, and I do understand some of the criticism as well. It, it just makes me wonder, yeah, this stuff is probably going to be a given, but is it fun? And generally when you want to make a video game, like I understand Ubisoft is doing this because it's another source of revenue. We're seeing things like Fortnite make a ton of money with cosmetics and having something that can be unique might make it even more exclusive and encourage people uh, to get involved with it more. And if they're making a commission every time someone buys or sells something, it could be uh, a situation where they're not just making money from the initial sale, but every sale afterwards, which could be cool. But yeah, I do understand the criticism of, is this fun? And is this a resource where they should be putting in to uh, the development of these games that already takes so long to develop? Um, but, you know, that's that's just a question that we don't have answered yet. I don't want to assume that it's going to be bad or it's going to be good. I think it's one of those things that we kind of have to wait and see how it plays out. But uh, for me, definitely, I'm more of a fan of, you know, video games being tailored around fun and not necessarily having a limited run of of cosmetics because let's say i can't get that cosmetic right now um you know i play a lot of Fortnite. uh maybe i you know i can't get the ghostbusters skin right now but i know in the next few months maybe i will be able to get it and the idea of it running out to me is not fun but also that's not something that existed in the game from the beginning um, I think they'll have more success with something like this when they start from the beginning of this is how the game is designed. My rebuttal to you, though, can't remember what the game was, but you've mentioned before about, you know, you're playing an MMO game and you had this rare candy cane. Was oh, it? yeah. Yes. And the candy cane sword. Yeah. Because you had this sword, you could sell it and you got a lot of gold for it right? because it was a rare item. It, was, it only came out once from my understanding. Yeah. And people wanted it. The value went up. Now, when you sold it, you sold it for in-game currency for gold. You know, it didn't, it meant a lot in the game, but outside of the game, it didn't mean anything. I think NFTs are just the next evolution of that in saying that, hey, you can sell a rare item, you know, because there's going to be collaborations with, you know, big celebrities or big brands that are going to garner a lot of money. Mm-hmm. But then there's also going to be the smaller things, the obscure things, the random things, the candy canes, where, okay, there's going to be a special Christmas event. And if you participate in the Christmas event, then you can get this special candy cane uh, harvesting tool. And it's only going to happen once. And it's a free item. Mm-hmm. So all you have to do is you have to be online at this time, invested in the game, play it, you get it for free. There you go. Five years down the line, 
someone's gonna say, man, I wish I had that candy cane item. That was so cool. Like, I missed my chance. They're never doing that event again. It's never coming back. And because, I mean, I'm assuming because the, the system of, okay, this is an NFT, you can buy items for this, whatever the cryptocurrency is, whatever, you know, gaming company decides to partner with, because that system is in place, it will theoretically allow you to sell this item that you got for free. That was a very obscure, very random thing that was free, let's say, mm -hmm. that you can now sell for cryptocurrency for money. I guess my rebuttal to you is in that, in that sense, is that more acceptable? Because before you sold it for gold, which in the game made a big deal, but I don't think you're playing that game anymore now. So all that gold doesn't really do anything for you. Uh, yeah. And I actually tried to play that game again, but I forgot my username and password. But 100%, <laughs> I, I agree with you. I think if it's a situation where everyone has access to the item um, while they're playing, and it's not kind of like a gatekeeping kind of situation, then yeah, I think that's okay. Um, I think where it really gets scary is, or I shouldn't say scary, where it really gets a little bit shaky is if only a certain number of people can get this and you have to be a part of this exclusive club and stuff like that, which don't get me wrong, video games already do that, especially MMOs. Like even if, if we talk about uh, a game like Destiny where you have to complete a very difficult raid with friends and you kind of have to have friends and people to, to do that with, if you don't have that or you don't have access to that you can feel left out i don't like the idea of video games adding more options for that um that kind of feeling because that is inherently not fun but if it's just an item that okay this is christmas uh the christmas event like i did in guild wars was the game um it was called winter's day and you get the special candy cane sword um because you're you know enjoying the winter's day festivities and they never release it again so it becomes worth something, that's fine. I'm, I'm really okay with that because it's everyone has access to it. It's not kind of partitioned out of only certain people can, which, yeah, uh, definitely I think would be a cool kind of idea. I guess the difference here is one is it's scarce because not that many, particip not that many people chose to participate in it. Mm -hmm. You know, it was widely available, but it's just not that many people chose to participate in the event which led to it being scarce after the fact and whereas nfts are created to be scarce yeah exactly it is it's a it's a way to add value and create scarcity out of a digital thing which typically doesn't need to be scarce yeah okay on to our final topic of the day Recently, more rumors have been swelling, have been circulating about an updated iMac Pro that could be coming in the first quarter of 2022. Now, some of the rumors have been pointing to a March 2022 announcement, you know, slash release for an updated iMac Pro. Now, this past year, we get we got the updated iMacs with bright, colorful, you know, designs and big white bezels and they had the M1 chip and it was good, definitely a good needed improvement. Rumors are pointing to 2022 being the year of the iMac Pro. So think space gray, aluminum, black bezels on the front, probably a notch on the front too. 
a bigger 27-inch mini LED display panel and probably running M1 Pro and M1 Max chips. Now, yes, what are your thoughts on, what were your thoughts on the original iMax, just, you know, as a refresher for everyone and for myself? Mm -hmm. And what are your thoughts on the idea of this new updated iMac Pro coming out? So with the original IMAX, I was, I think, a lot more positive on them than most people. I loved those things. I thought they were so cool. I actually really wanted one. Um, I, I really liked the minimalist design. I liked the color selection. And the, the only real issue I had with it, and it was a pretty big one, was the port selection on the base model, which only had two ports, which I thought was ridiculous for a desktop computer. But... When it comes to the iMac Pro, the original iMac Pro was uh, released as an update to the old Mac Pro, which didn't get any updates. And, you know, pros were really looking for a new computer. So they decided to release this all in one. And I thought that that was one of the dumbest devices Apple ever made. And I saw all these reviews. It was kind of an opposite. Like the, the iMac, the most recent iMac got middling reviews. Some people liked it. Some people didn't. But the original iMac Pro got really, really good reviews. And I didn't understand why. Because it was something that couldn't be updated. It was something that was in an all-in-one computer. And Apple was already struggling to cool their computers. So to me, it just didn't make any sense. And it wasn't nearly as powerful as the price suggested. So for them to bring that back, as much as I'm really kind of uh, impressed with M1, Definitely not to the level as a lot of the reviewers. I definitely think M1 has its issues, but it's still quite impressive. Uh, M1, uh, M1 Pro and M1 Max have also impressed a lot of people. So the idea that that can be coming in a desktop with a really large, really color accurate screen sounds like it's a good idea, but I'm still, across the whole line, I'm still negative on the idea of none of these machines can be upgraded after the fact. You have to order them with what you think you'll need in the far future right now because there's no way to to upgrade them. Um, and to me, that's even more of a problem in a pro machine because your tasks are going to be more varied. So, you know, if I'm getting an M1 Pro powered uh, iMac Pro, I got to decide if I need 64 gigabytes today because I can't add in any more uh, RAM tomorrow. Um, I got to decide that I need a certain amount of storage today because I can't add any more internal storage tomorrow. I got to use the ports and they better have a good port selection on that machine because if they continue <laughs> the terrible ports that they have on the regular iMac, um, it's just going to make the device even stupider. It it just, it goes to show that I think Apple can make some of the coolest stuff and at the same time make some of the most baffling things Um but overall, I am kind of excited. I'm always excited to see something new from Apple. Uh, I'm kind of excited to see what they think an iMac Pro should look like. Um, and I'm also hoping that the screen gets uh, a little bit bigger than 27 inches. I'm hoping we're getting going to get around a 30-inch screen. I'm hoping we're going to get the micro LED um, and, you know, kind of push a little bit closer to the Pro Display XDR in an all integrated system, I think could be really cool and clean. If you just have a lot of money to spend and you want just a really nice minimalist setup, I think it could be a great option for a lot of people. But uh, I'm curious, 
you have talked about uh, potentially getting a new computer. Does an iMac Pro interest you at all? And if so, what is something that you need to see uh, from an iMac Pro going forward? Um, I mean, the iMac Pro interests me in the sense that it's a new device. It's going to be the best that Apple has to offer at that time. Uh, what would I need to see is the price like in the MacBook Air. <laughs> That's what I would need to see in order to be interested in an iMac Pro. It's, you know, the same story as the Oppo Find N and let's say the Samsung Galaxy Z Fold 3. Definitely interested in the future, you know, the cutting edge of technology. But I'm also a realist and I, you know, the way my bank account's set up, I got a check-ins and savings account, you know, money doesn't transfer over to the other, you know, old Kevin Hart joke. Yeah, too much money. Yeah. I am, I would say my uh, my views on this are flipped compared to yours. Mm. I did not like the original iMac, or not the original. I did not like this most recent iMac. I liked the idea of the colors. I liked, you know, the the slimming down. I thought the white bezels were a stupid idea. Like, you have a screen. Everyone typically tries to hide their bezels. You decide to do the complete opposite and make your bezels stand out as much as possible. I agree with you. The port selection on the back was pretty bad, pretty shoddy, especially for the base version. Better for the, I guess, the upgraded version. But still, the upgraded ports should have been on the base version. They also chose not to update the Magic Mouse, which is kind of stupid. Like, for anyone who doesn't know, in order to charge their Bluetooth mouse, you have to flip it upside down because the lightning charging port is on the very bottom of it. It wouldn't make sense to have it on the front or even on the side so that you could still use the mouse while it's charging. But Apple, I think Johnny Ive decided that, <laughs> no, we are going to design it so the mouse is, is not usable while it charges. Stupid. Hopefully, for the iMac Pro, they redesign it. Hopefully, for the iMac Pro, they have black bezels. The colors were fun for the 2021 iMac. But hopefully we get a space gray and an aluminum, let's say, or a silver, whatever they decide to call it. I'm also looking forward to these because, you know, we've had reviews of the M1 Pro and the M1 Max. And I think kind of the biggest problem that, let's say, the M1 Max chip has run into is kind of, I think a little bit has been due to thermal throttling when it comes down to like high load situations, mm -hmm. right? And that's because, hey, this is a powerful chip in a laptop. And even in the 16-inch laptop, 16 laptop compared to the 14-inch, because you're in a laptop in a portable device, there are some limitations when it comes to cooling and what you can, what you can manage thermally. But in a dedicated desktop, you can have a higher capacity. You can have a higher workload. You can have a higher output from the same chip. So I'm looking forward to see assuming these rumors are true i'm looking forward to see this m1 max chip in a 27 or maybe a 30 inch uh imac pro i'm interested to see what kind of numbers it can push out and what kind of real world examples this thing gets used for but you brought up a good point because this is going to be you know an apple device an m1 device there's no upgradability to this whatever you get day one 
That's what you have to stick with for the lifetime of this device. For pros, that could be a bit of a problem. But I mean, once again, we're talking about their iMacs. This isn't a Mac Pro. Mm -hmm. We're still, you know, everyone's kind of has their fingers crossed hoping for a, a Mac Pro to come out at some point, a new Mac Pro, a redesigned Mac Pro. No rumors as to when or if that's coming out anytime soon. But I think if it's someone who is invested in the Mac, the iMac uh, ecosystem, right? Or maybe they've previously bought iMacs, let's say for uh, your dentist office has iMacs. They're running ones probably from like 2018, 2016. So they're definitely due for an upgrade. And as long as you're not doing things like, let's say, heavy graphic intensive or heavy GPU intensive graphic editing or video editing or photo editing, I think you're going to be okay holding on to the same system for quite some time. Mm -hmm. I think Apple has been pretty good at, you know, building devices like that and showing that there are devices that can last for, you know, let's say a laptop that can last for nine years. But once again, if, if you are, let's say, building something on Unreal Engine 5, you may want the new cutting edge technology every year so that it can handle everything that you're dealing with. You know, if you're building a virtual reality version of the Matrix, you may need the newest cutting edge technology and you need something that you can upgrade you know, each year when a new GPU comes out or a new CPU comes out. And in that case, I don't think the iMac Pro is for you. I don't think the iMac is for I don't think, you know, M1 in general is for you. Mm -hmm. But I think that there are, are a lot of people that have been holding on to their old iMac Pros, holding on to their old devices that are long overdue for an upgrade. And I think that when they saw the M1s originally, you know, there was a lot of, there's a lot of good publicity, a lot of good reviews for them. They were good devices. But I think everyone kind of knew in the back of their mind that, hey, there is going to be a next step from this. There's going to be an iMac Pro, hopefully a Mac Pro at some point. But once again, fingers crossed for that. Um, also rumored to be coming next year, not necessarily in the springtime, not necessarily in the first quarter of 2022. There's supposed to be a redesigned Mac mini, a new iPad Pro, and a new iPhone SE. Now, for the new Mac mini, I would assume, because the last Mac mini we got M1, I would assume this new Mac mini would have the M1 Pro and the M1 Max chips in it. And I think when the M1 originally came out in the MacBook Pro, MacBook Air, and Mac mini, I think we both kind of came to the conclusion that, hey, the Mac mini is the best bang for your buck in, in terms of you're getting all this same processing power, but it does not cost as much. Mm -hmm. and, 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 you know, in fact, it's actually more capable than the iPad right? So I, I would be interested to see if they update this the, or if they redesign the Mac mini and they put an M1 Pro chip and they put an M1 Max chip in it. I would definitely be interested to see how those perform. What are your thoughts on the possibility of an M1 Pro, M1 Max powered redesigned Mac Mini? Um, super for it. I think that would be uh, an awesome thing. What I hope they don't do though, is they, I hope they don't fully replace uh, the current Mac Mini because I think it's a, like you said, fantastic value. Um, 
in my opinion, the best value in the Mac lineup right now. Um, but also what I'm kind of curious to see is if they just redesign the Mac, the Mac mini, um, and keep it with the M one, uh, but just make it super thin, which is something I can fully see Apple doing. <laughs> um, and it will probably even make it worse in the long run because it will have less cooling. Cause remember this is the same Mac mini from the Intel days. So it's kind of over-engineered for what the M1 uh, chip is supposed to be. Same thing with the initial uh, the initial MacBooks that they released with the M1, kind of not really designed specifically for M1, but they just put M1s in there. So yeah, I hope they, they kind of keep the a, a relatively good size, put the M1 Pro in it. I don't know if they necessarily need the M1 Max right now in uh, a Mac mini, but you know, definitely, I think that would be a cool thing for, for value. Uh, I hope they don't, they keep the idea of this is supposed to be a value machine. Because my main question for you is, do you think it's smart to make an iMac Pro right now or just make a Mac Mini Pro? Do you think the Mac Mini Pro would be a better machine overall in terms of getting this pro-level hardware into a more affordable device? Because if you need a really color accurate screen, we already have a 14 and a 16 inch MacBook Pro um, with these chips in it. Maybe there needs to be a dedicated desktop for these chips, but I, I don't know. Maybe I could be wrong about that. Um, I think it definitely would be a better machine if you put, you know, uh, an M1 Pro Mac Mini compared to a M1 Pro iMac, but. I think, you know, just the way the fan base for Apple is, the M1 Pro iMac is going to sell, or sorry, the M1 Pro iMac Pro <laughs> is going to sell unbelievably well. Yeah. Just the way the fan base is. I think, you know, I think in terms of, you know, once again, bang for your buck, the Mac Mini would make a lot more sense. And especially if you're someone who already has, you know, some sort of a setup, if you already have some sort of a, you know, you have your own keyboard, you have your own monitor, your own color accurate monitor. You don't need another monitor attached to this device. If you're someone who's coming from a previous Mac mini, you don't need to get rid of everything you have. All you need to do is, is upgrade your processing power, Yeah. upgrade your graphics processing power. And an, an upgraded Mac mini can definitely plug into that. So I think for a certain population, the Mac mini makes so much sense. The M1 Mac Mini makes so much sense, and a possible M1 Pro Mac Mini makes so much sense. But the fan base of Apple, they like iMacs. They like iMac Pros. They like iMac Pro Max is powered by an M1 Max chip, right? That's that's just the way it's going to be. Well, I mean, I think that kind of goes into um, the iPhone SE as well. It's like, okay, this is a really great, uh, value proposition, but not necessarily the most, the phone that gets the fan base the most excited. But I'm curious, how do you feel about a second iteration of this new version of the SE, um, considering that you were once uh, a user of the SE yourself? I'll have to see what, I'll have to see what it is once it's announced, because mm -hmm. there's a lot of rumors in the air as to, okay, is the design going to be the exact same? Is it going to be a slightly bigger one? Because they're saying it's going to be called the SE+. Plus. Mm -hmm. Um, they're supposed to, some people are saying it's going to have the A14 chip, but what they've typically done is put their newest chip in, which would be the A15. 
I think either way, the SE is going to be a good deal. Yeah, I think it's going to be a great deal. But once again, it's going to be for certain people, it's going to make a lot of sense, right? To get the possibly the newest chip Apple has to offer, the newest, fastest chip they have to offer in something that's a fraction of the price of their flagships. And maybe you're someone, you know, like yourself that doesn't like the larger phones. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. But there's also going to be people who are thinking, well, I want the newest thing Apple has to offer, as in the most expensive with the most cameras and the biggest screen, the highest refresh rate and the best resolution. So they're not going to be interested in it. I think also there's a thing of people like having things that look new, yeah. that you can look at it and say, oh, well, yeah, that is the new 13. That's the 13 Pro Max. That's the new SE as opposed to if they're using the exact same body as the old SE, there's going to be people who are saying, well, I can't even tell the difference. So why would that matter to me? Yeah. Right. Which is so, almost the exact same body as the iPhone six. So it's like, exactly. Exactly. Right. Like it's already, okay. It's recycled once, but to recycle the same thing. Well, no, cause it was, let's say iPhone seven. And then it's the same body as the iPhone eight. Yeah. And then they recycled it again. So they've recycled it three times or two times. Four, six, six S seven, eight. No, no, the, the six and the seven are different. <laughs> I, the six and the seven. There's a headphone jack missing, I guess. <laughs> exactly. Hey, that's a big difference to some people. Some people really care about their headphone jacks. So they, it was, it was original for the seven. They recycled it once to make the eight. They recycled it again to make the SE, yeah. if you recycle it a third time, Apple, that's kind of like, that's pretty lazy on your part. At least give people like the, what is the X? Yeah, the 10. Right? Give, the them, 10 give them the 10 or yeah. the 10R, even if you don't want to give them the 10. But yeah, so I'll have to wait and see when that comes up. But another rumor, iPad Pro, a new iPad Pro. Do you think they will put an M1 Pro chip in their new iPad Pro? Uh, or do they go back to the A-series chips or stick with the M1 chip? I honestly don't even think we'll see an iPad Pro. Um, really? I think this is one of the rumors that probably won't happen considering that we just saw an update to the iPad Pros with M1. Um, the only thing I could potentially see is bringing the smaller version of the Pro in line. If they found a way that they could put that uh, that new screen in the smaller version. Uh, maybe I could see a small update, but other than that, I don't think they're gonna touch the, the pros in 2022. Uh, I think if we're gonna see an update to that, it will probably be closer to 2023 when we maybe see uh, an M2 chip, um, which is hopefully gonna be a slight update to the M1 where we see kind of the redesign of the iPad Airs and the, um, well, probably just the iPad Air. Uh, we'll probably see uh, iPad Pro update around that same time. But yeah, mm. unless we see those kind of that change kind of happen this year, I don't really see foresee an update to the iPad Pro line. Fair enough. Fair enough. If you if they have an iPad Pro with an M1 Max chip in it, is that something that you'd be interested in buying? Absolutely not. One hundred percent not. It, this thing needs macOS at some point. <laughs> yeah, iPad OS is not 
unless they do something drastic, there's nothing about it that makes me think that I would want. It's funny, the more power they put in the iPad Pro, the more it makes me like the normal iPad. Because it more makes me realize that this thing is overpowered for no reason whatsoever. But that's just me. Um, I'm curious. I you I know you are a really big fan. We were both really big fans of the of the iPad Pro. We said, mm-hmm. I think we both said it was the best device Apple made. It's just being held back by software. Um, yeah. Would that convince you if there was uh, an iPad Pro with an M1 Pro or an M1 Max chip, and potentially even kind of undercutting? what the current MacBook Pros are going for, would that interest you at all? I mean, like you said, it's the software, mm-hmm. right? It's the idea of it interests me, but the fact that the software is essentially iPhone software, it's, it's yeah, an M1-powered iPad is overpowered. I don't even know what to call an M1 pro powered ipad i don't even know what to call an m1 max powered ipad yeah. i don't even know what what you would classify that as it'd be like putting a, like a ferrari engine in a smart car but you can only drive 30 kilometers an hour let's say 30 miles an hour like yeah yeah it, and it's beyond overpowered the one only thing i could think of and apple would never do this but the only reason I could think of Apple putting those chips into a, a mobile device was if they were going to make a, a handheld gaming console. Because the, the fact of the matter is M1, M1 Pro, and M1 Max, the major difference between these chips is the GPUs. The processing power is pretty much in line each, you know, with each of the, especially single core performance, in line with each of these chips. Um, but the more GPU cores that are added to these chips, the more powerful they become uh, with, you know, metal API and, and processing graphics. If Apple decides they seriously want to get into gaming and they want to make a dedicated gaming iPad, I could see them adding in something like the M1 Pro or the M1 Max. They'd have to choose one. I don't think they would be able to choose both of them. They'd have to choose one and make that this is what developers are going to develop for. It's going to come with Apple Arcade. Um, and they got to start showing off some really good games. I could see that happening. Well, I can't see that happening. I think that would be a good move for them, but Apple has been kind of, you know, not super into gaming. Um, so I don't know if that's something they would ever do, but that's something I would be excited about if they did decide to do. If it's a very big, if, yeah. And if they do decide to do it, you guys heard it here first. Uh, any closing statements for today? Uh, honestly, I, Apple releasing new products always gets me excited. Um, I'm really kind of interested to see, you know, we talked about the Oppo folding phone. Will Apple make a folding phone? You mentioned how it seemed like Oppo took, waited their time and didn't release their tester products like Samsung did to the public. Like Apple does, you know, they like to work on things inside. And then when it's finally perfect, release it. Are they going to be the first to release the perfect a folding phone where there is no crease in the screen you know it actually does have glass instead of you know ultra thin glass and plastic um are they going to be able to protect perfect this kind of growing uh phone market and if they do oh man that could be really cool to see it could be yeah uh take it easy everyone in podcast line get you in the next episode